you have your Bibles this morning, find uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11 is really one that uh, is probably the second most famous uh, Old Testament passage of Scripture outside of the creation story uh, is David's uh, fall. And uh, I think it is probably one of the most known passages of Scripture is because we have all fallen and we've all failed and we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we can read it and think, man, that is definitely something I can relate to. But it is also something where we look and sometimes say, well, I would never do something as bad as David, right? I might lose my temper in traffic and flip someone off or I might get angry at the fact that Walmart refuses to put anyone at the cash register. And then when I check myself out and get to the door, they have people there that want to look at my receipt. And so why do you trust me to check my own stuff out if you don't trust me to leave? And so I just walk right on by. And uh, in those moments, I think, how ignorant can you be? But if we really thought about the big ones that we like to classify, the the murderers, the, uh, the stealing from uh, the bank, these great sins that we would classify, we would think, well, I'm, I'm not like that. I don't do those things. And so it is a passage of Scripture that God can really use uh, to reach us, but it's also a, a very good indication when we have decided that we're not going to listen to God. And so I want to start a series as we go through this passage of Scripture When the follower of God falls. When the follower of God falls. You say, Jake, that sounds very negative. Well, it can be very negative, but it can also be very positive. And I have two verses I want to, and I'm going to read these every week, to remind you that you should not put a period where God has a comma. You should not put the end when God has a but. You should not view as who you are today as what God has in store for you for tomorrow. In Psalm 51, verse 12, David, writing about this incident and how God had set him free after it, in 51, verse 12, it says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Today, some of you are here just because it's what you're supposed to do. You don't find any joy coming to church. You don't find any excitement coming to church. You come because you've always came. And you always have. And you know that you should. But yet, when you wake up on Sunday morning, you think, Oh, here we go. Instead of, God, what are you going to do? God, what what do you want of me? And so this morning, I want to start by talking to you about the joy of your salvation. Is there any joy that God has given you? And the second thing comes from 2 Samuel chapter 12, at the end of this. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. So God can have joy even after you have fallen. And two, you can have forgiveness after you have fallen. 
And you say, Jake, I, I'm in a good place right now in my life. I don't feel like I'm, I'm going to stumble. I'm going to fall. I'm going to, to mess things up. Whether you are an absolute mess or whether you have everyone fooled that you have it all together, whether you have grown to a point of spiritual maturity that your sins seem insignificant, all of us stumble. All of us fall. All of us make mistakes. And the question is not if it happens, it is when it happens. And when it happens, what do you do in response to God? Do you let it become a mess that destroys you? Some of you have heard this story, some of you have not. But back two years ago when I had COVID for the first time, I had the uh, pneumonia that went with it. And after about two days of sitting in the house, I thought, my yard needs mowed. You know, it's, it's November. I have not done anything with my leaves. They're piled up. I will mow the yard. I'm going to burn these, mow these leaves off. I can do this. And so as I'm out there in our yard, if you're not familiar, it's got a hundred and some trees. And I would cut every single one of them down if I could. Uh, and I began to push the, the leaves with my lawnmower, and I realized that I smelt smoke. And as always, you just back up your lawnmower, you let it cool down, and you go on. But what I didn't realize was that it had already caught fire. And so in that moment of a small little fire of leaves, I thought, I'll go get the water hose, I'll try to pat it out, I'll get a rake. Doesn't matter, not a big deal. It does matter when four years worth of leaves are piled up right next to it in the edge of a forest on the edge of a bean field and you begin to tell yourself, I don't know if insurance covers this or not, but I don't want to burn an entire field, let alone my neighbor's house. And So I'm trying my best to get to the water hose. I hook it up, the fires begin to spread but it's like every water hose that I own, it looks like someone took a knife to it all the way through it, and so there was no water. And so then I think, well, I can rake it, and then I realized I couldn't rake it, and so it began to spread, begin to grow. And so as half of the wood next to me is on fire, I'm standing out in front of it thinking, I don't think I can go. Couldn't breathe. I just sat down and thought, this is how I'm going to go. Right here, right in this field, this is it. Thankfully, my child came outside and was like, what are you doing, Dad? Get your mother. She came out barefoot with a towel that was wet and beat that entire forest fire out, okay? <laughs> Strangest thing. I was like, what about your shoes? I don't, just, I don't know. And so what started as something very small, and I could have just went and said, Tony, I can't breathe. Can you help me? I would not deal with it. I tried to deal with it on my own, and it just about ended up costing everything. I talked to the guy from the fire department in Dagger and he said, why didn't you call? I said, well, I heard it was $500 for the fire department to come out. He said, you were going to die for $500. I said, yeah, it squeaks when I open it. So he said, you are in city limits. It's free. I said, that really made me feel dumb, right? But friends, in our Christian walk, the same thing happens with sin. The same thing happens with our failures. We can either let God deal with them or they will spread tremendously. And so if you would stand with me, and we're going to jump right into this story of David and what happened and how you and I can learn from it and how we can respond. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 11. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel... 
And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw the woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David, and said, I am with child. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, that your spirit would convict us. God, that we would recognize our sin, but God, that we would remember that you can forgive. God, that you can restore. God, that you can save. And so, Lord, just help us to know that the sins that we struggle with today do not have to define us tomorrow. And so, Lord, I ask that you would use me for your glory, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so you've seen what has happened. It's a very black and white picture of what happens. And if you remember anything about what's going on in 2 Samuel, David has defeated everybody. He has defeated his rebels at home. He has defeated his uh, enemies around him. Uh, We left last time that uh, the Syrians who had came to help the Ammonites had been defeated. And the Ammonites had retreated back to their capital and they were just waiting for David to finish them off. And we should have been uh, reminded that not only does sin destroy us, but people who support those living in sin bring judgment on themselves. And this is very important because we live in a culture that everything has a warrior, right? I'm a, a cancer warrior. I'm, a, a, I'm, a, I'm a, a, an autism warrior. And those are wonderful causes to be behind and, and support and, and, and be there for people. But we've added that to everything. A marriage equality warrior, a gender equality warrior. And what we realize is, even though I don't struggle with those sins, I am supporting those who are in defiance of God. And the Syrians were destroyed because they had participated in someone else's sin. But the Ammonites are this group of people who David is getting ready to defeat. You see, David's moment of his greatest fall came after his moment of greatest victory, his greatest strength. The moment that David had accomplished more and accumulated more than at any point in his life is where we find ourselves. And you and I would think by reading this that David's been through so much, right? He was, he was ran out of his home country. His wife was given to another man. He lived in caves and he lived on the run and, and his own nation after he came back betrayed him and, and all of these things. And now he finally has it all together. He finally has everything he needs. He finally is enjoying the promises that God has given him. But like so many of us in those moments, that is when we begin to drift. That's when we begin to get overconfident. That's when we begin to rely on ourselves. It happens to us as individuals. It happens to us as a family. And it can happen to us as a church. And my cautionary tale for you this morning is whether you are blessed as an individual, whether you are blessed as a family, or we as blessed as a church, never take for granted what God has done in your life. 
because I want to show you three things that will lead you away from God and into a mess. The first is this, the sin of an unguarded mind. The sin of an unguarded mind. Look here in verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Now, the writer of this passage of Scripture gives us just black and white evidence. He says David was not where he was supposed to be. David wasn't necessarily sinning by being in Jerusalem. He had shown that in the last chapter. He sent Joab out to deal with them. But the significance of this and the writer of this is trying to call your attention to be where God wants you to be. To be focused on the things that God wants you to be focused on. And we look at this in this almost sin of omission, right? David wasn't doing anything bad, but he necessarily wasn't doing anything for the Lord. And many of you are in that place today. You're like, Jake, I'm not out stealing from the bank. Jake, I'm not out cheating on my wife. Jake, I'm not screaming and cussing at my coworkers at work. But I don't ask you if you are committing these sins. What are you not doing? Have you quit praying? Have you quit reading the Word? Have you quit sharing your testimony? Have you quit having joy? Have you quit looking forward to worship? You see, he began to just coast. And many of you would say, Jake, I find myself there. I finally got the promotion at work. I finally was able to retire. Our family has finally got our kids raised and out of the house and grandkids are here. It's time for us just to enjoy. And that's where David was. David was enjoying the spoils of God's blessing. But listen to what James, the fourth chapter, says in verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. You see, David was willing for his men to fight, his men to die, but he had decided that he was above all of that. Now, the Bible says there is a time of rest, a season of rest, that you should take time to rest. I believe it's a sin not to rest. But yet you need to know something that when God has called you to do something and God has laid on your heart somewhere to be, that is where God wants you. And you will never find the blessings and the joy and the peace that God has you. That's why I believe so many marriages are so miserable and they are so unproductive. It is because the Bible has given us a clear picture of what a husband is to look like, what a wife is to look like, and how we are to love each other. And when that gets out of whack, it might not necessarily be sinful. It might not necessarily be something that is noticeable, but it is not. Relationships with pastors and churches and church members and other church members, it might not necessarily be bad. It might not necessarily be that you're out spreading rumors about each other. But when you get too busy to love them and pray for them and be there for them, that, that moment of not doing what God has asked you to do, robs you of the blessings of what God wants to do in your life. And so the sin of an unguarded mind, that not being prepared for what comes next, that decision not to know what God wants for you. Most of us, when we get saved and we're excited and we're thankful and we're, we're ready, 
But as time goes on, if we're not careful, we are thankful for heaven. We are thankful for God's blessing. But we begin to lose that desire for Him. And that's not fur as in like a wool clothing for Him, excuse me. But what we see in the book of Revelations is they had done great things, but yet they had begun to drift. And so this morning I want to encourage you, are you still wanting what God wants for you? Are you still asking God, what do you want for me as a husband? What do you want for me as a father? You say, Jake, why does this happen? I think it's one of two reasons. One, we are very successful and we take our success for granted. Or two, it is a great challenge and we give up. A marriage isn't worth fighting for. It's not like anyone's going to change. Why is disciplining and correcting our kids uh, so difficult when when they're probably just going to grow up and be heathens anyway? Why even get involved in church when you just know someone's going to do something to hurt you? And so what happens is we have faced resistance before and do not think that God can work, that God can move. Well, I've shared my testimony before and no one got saved. I prayed for that person to get healed and they died. I, I, I tried to be a friend and forgive my enemies and they ruined my reputation in the community. So sometimes it is the fear of having to face a struggle. But sometimes it is just genuinely God's been good to us. I believe you see that in America today. God has been good to us. God has blessed us with everything as a nation we could need. National resource, natural resources, land, you name it. We have everything that we could ever want, ever need, and yet God had nothing to do with it. God didn't matter. God doesn't matter. And so, friends, I want you to be very careful of an unguarded mind. Second thing I want to show you this morning is we see the sin of passionate desire. The sin of passionate desire. Starting in verse 2 it says, Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired of the woman. And the woman's son, someone said, Is it not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David, not where he should have been, not doing what God had for him to do, takes a stroll. You say, Jake, there's nothing wrong with that. And for all the kids in the room, you're going, why are you walking on your roof, flat roof, okay? Don't go home and get tired and frustrated and just walk around on your roof, all right? It's a whole different setting. But yet the king's palace would have been up higher and he would have been able to look down into the city, into the homes of other people, not necessarily their windows that he was creeping on them, but yet in the villages and in the streets. And and he is just up and he's looking. Now, I want to say this this morning, and this is going to upset some people, and that's totally okay with me. It doesn't bother me at all. David not only was where he shouldn't have been, but he had grown lazy. Do you notice that he was up and the understanding is that he had been in bed, that he had been resting, but yet he had taken it too far. And so he's up at a time where he shouldn't be up, just doing something he really not necessarily can't do. You're saying, you don't know what it's like, Jake. You're not old and can't sleep at night. David wasn't old either. But David had been so relaxed and so uninvolved and so unaware that he had just slept the day away. 
And so he's up at a time when he should be going to bed. And listen to what the Bible says about that in Proverbs 24. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. He says there's a little sleep, a little slumber, rest is fine. But when it becomes the focus of your life, it will bring you to ruin. And this is the part that's going to be very upsetting, and that's okay. We are wasting our lives with technology. Eight hours of video games, 13 hours of Netflix, seven hours of Facebook, staying up all hours of the night, spending all day doing these things. And look here at me. I am telling you today that you are wasting the life that God has given you. You need to go to bed early. You need to work hard. You need to work hard whenever you are. You need to rest, and then you need to get up and be productive. We look at a society and say they won't work. They won't do this. They won't do that. But friends, we should be the example. We should be those that are leading by example that God has a purpose for my life, and it is not to sit and do this for hours and hours and hours, or do this, beep, 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 pew, pew, pew. That's not God's purpose for your life. You say, I enjoy it, I love it, I like it. Yes, then do a little of it. But when it becomes the focus of your life, you are like David. You have uncontrolled passions. You have an unguarded mind. Listen to what James, the first chapter, says. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown brings forth death. Now let's look at this. David is just taking a stroll. He looks down, sees a beautiful woman, a woman. Now some Bible scholars put all the blame on David and none on Bathsheba. Some of them put it all on Bathsheba and none on David. What I believe is it takes two to tango. And I believe that David instigated the sin, but Bathsheba did not have to go. You say, he's the king. He could do whatever he wants. Look up here. If you're married, you know one simple thing. You can only tell him to do so much. And then a woman does what she wants. Just the truth. The same could be said about a man. You can tell him what you want him to do. You can encourage him. You can strengthen him. You can nag at him. But eventually, we only do what we want. And so David says, I like this woman. She's a beautiful woman. And in that moment, he had lusted, but he could have went right back to bed. David had multiple wives. David had multiple concubines. David had multiple avenues to take care of his desire, but yet he wanted her. But did you notice what happens next? He sends someone to find out who she is. And then they bring back, this is Uriah's wife, Iliam's daughter. This would have been a young woman who had been very significantly tied to David, even though he didn't know her. Her grandfather was one of David's most trusted advisors. Her father was one of his greatest warriors. And her husband's name literally means that he was a worshiper of God. So David had a moment of lust, a moment of sin. And friends, we all struggle with moments of sin. 
whether it's someone cuts you off in traffic, whether it's something that you think in your mind, it's something you see in those moments, there is a sin of passion. But then David takes that sin of passion and makes it deliberate. David knows who she is. David knows what the situation is, but yet he does what? Sins for her anyway. Friends, this morning I want you to know that, friends, while you will struggle with sin as a Christian, while you will battle the flesh for the rest of your life, you say, Jake, my flesh is getting better. No, it's not. Your flesh is as wicked as it ever was. But the spirit living in you should be getting more control, more leadership. But that flesh can rise up at any moment. That flesh can do the same things it's always done. It can put you in the same positions that it always has when your desires are not those of the Lord. And so what we see here is David says, I have a sinful desire. I'm going to act on that desire. I'm going to do it no matter of the cost. That's why the writer of that scripture says when it starts here, it either stays here or it dies here. But then if it doesn't stay here or die here, it spreads. Then it goes from a desire to an action. And this morning I want you to hear this. When you decide to disobey God in whatever area of your life that it is, when you begin to follow that, consequences no longer matter. doesn't matter what it does to your children. doesn't matter what it does to your neighbor. doesn't matter what it does to your church. doesn't matter what it does. Nothing matters in a situation like this. And so I want to show you the sin of an unguarded heart, the sin of passionate desire, and third and finally this morning, the sin of a hard heart. Look at verse 4. Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. I don't want you to miss this because just like in the first verse when it said that David should have been at war, it makes this in, in very important statement that she had finished her cleansing from her impurity. What that means is, and I'm going to be very careful here because you can describe this to your children however you want to, okay? And I don't want you driving on the way home going, what does that mean, mommy? That's, that's, that's not what I want. So she had went through a period where it was evident that she wasn't pregnant. Okay? She is now clean from that period of three to seven days. All right? One of these years it's going to be miserable at my house for that week every month. (laughs) But he says this as the writer of Scripture because they want you to know that there is no other way that anyone else is the father except through David. They don't have to go on Maury. They don't have to go on Jerry Springer and do a paternity test. God wants you to know that this child is the result of David's sin. It's not Uriah's. That way you cannot explain it away. Well, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. No, the writer of Scripture wants you to see that sin always produces results. That there's always something that comes from our sin. And you say, well, Jacob, child is never, ever, ever a burden, no matter how it is conceived. You are correct. But there are always consequences 
no matter how blessed of a blessing it is. There's always consequences. And what we see here is that David didn't care. David didn't care about anything. And listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 8. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you that whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. There's an old quote and question that we ask ourselves. Can Christians live a life of habitual sin? Now before you think I just cursed, habitual is a lifestyle. So I might look at a pretty woman and have a lustful thought. But can I spend my whole life as a Christian lusting and chasing after beautiful women? I might have moments of anger that I repent from. But can my whole life as a Christian be defined by my anger? I might have periods of unforgiveness. But can I have a lifestyle of unforgiveness? That is the question And because we are Southern Baptists and we believe in the security of the believer, we explain it away as as long as you prayed when you were a kid, you can do what you want, you're in the palm of God's hand, there's nothing to worry about. Friends, I believe in the security of the believer. I do not believe in the power of a magic prayer or repeating words. And so the Bible clearly teaches that a Christian cannot live a life of habitual sin. It can't. Either God has truly saved you and will take you home, or you were never saved in the first place. You say, Jake, that's a bold statement. How much is habitual? I don't know. But does your life reflect the things of God? I'm not talking in this low season of your life or this moment on the mountaintop but I am talking about the evidence that you have been building, that you have been living, the fruit that you have been producing. Because what we see here is, if you are committing a sin, as you are following a sin, you are slave to that sin. And if you're slave to that sin, you are slave to the master of sin. And the master of sin is Satan. The master of forgiveness is Jesus. The master of salvation is Jesus. And so can can a pastor, can a religious leader, can a follower of Jesus run from God? Absolutely. Can you wander for a few years? Absolutely. But can you live a full life not caring about the things of God, being a child of God? The Word of God says no. You can't. And so this morning I want you to see this because what did David say when conviction set in? Back in 2 Samuel chapter 12, I have sinned against the Lord. You say, well, Jake, I don't really know what sin is. I would love to explain that very quickly in Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 20. And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within... Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. If you want another list, and I'm not going to read it, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19, you can read. There's another list. 1 Corinthians, there's another list. And it's just Paul, and it's 
And it's, it's Jesus telling us these are sins. These are sins that you might struggle with. These are sins that you might fall into. These are sins that are always going to be a problem. But this should not be what your life and my life is defined by. We should be defined by a life of repentance. A life of forgiveness. You say, Jake, this is a pretty discouraging way to start out 2 Samuel chapter 11. It's the last week of July. It's a miracle I'm here anyway, you're saying. It's vacation week. Well, don't miss what I have to finish with. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And so you have a choice today. You can say, I have no sin, not me. I've been saved long enough. I've been saved. I've been changed. I do not sin. And there are groups within the Christian faith that claim that. Certain groups claim that they can live a perfect life. But listen to what John says. If you claim to have no sin, you are not a believer. If you and I say that we have no sin, there is no truth in us. And who is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth of God is not in us. You say, well, Jake, I have no problem admitting I'm a sinner. I'm a broken mess, and I live that way. Now, don't take it that extreme. You are a sinner. You are someone who needs forgiveness, but your sin should not define you. But look what it says in verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You see, when we talk about sin in the Bible, it makes everyone uncomfortable because we think about our past. We think about our present. We think about what we're struggling with. We think what we have struggled with. We think of, oh, does so-and-so know about my struggles? Or does so-and-so remember what I was like? You know, I hope no one shares what I was like. And in those moments of self-righteousness, we think, I'll just act like it doesn't exist. And friends, that's the one thing God does not want from you. God says if you'll confess your sins that he is faithful and just to forgive them, to forgive all unrighteousness, not some of them, not the ones that you're embarrassed of, not the ones that you don't think anyone else struggles with. But I want you to hear that, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means there is not a sin that I have ever committed that you think is despicable that God won't forgive. There is not a sin that I have struggled with in my life that if I will ask forgiveness with, that Jesus won't forgive me, even if you won't. It doesn't matter what they say at the coffee shop. It doesn't matter what they say on Facebook. It doesn't matter what they whisper about you when you walk into a ball game. If God has forgiven you, you have been forgiven. If God has washed you as white as snow, you're as white as snow. Friends, the reason that people do not forgive, the reason that people will not move on, the reason that people that keep dragging up your baggage is because they have never experienced forgiveness. They've never experienced a second chance and a third chance. They've never experienced what it was like to be forgiven seven times 
70 as the Lord has forgiven us. And so, friends, this ought to be a church that knows we're sinners, that preaches against sin, that talks about sin, that doesn't hide sin. But, friends, when we can finally get to a point where we say, here I am, a sinner, I'm struggling with this, I want you to pray for me for this, I want you to help me walk away from this, I want forgiveness, that we should embrace people that we should welcome them, that we should support them, we should love them. We shouldn't come to a prayer meeting and say, <clears throat> Preacher, got a prayer request. Oh, what is it? Well, ah, let me gather myself. Got tears. It's close to home. Care to pray for so-and-so? Sure, thank you for sharing. No, let me share why. You know, they're having some marriage problems. Kids are out sipping the bottle. Their dog got ran over by the husband. Wife's terribly upset. All the husband could say was dog gone. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and what you start to realize is that ain't a prayer request. That's a gossip session. Now, friends, I believe in prayer. And I believe in confessing our sins and praying for each other. I believe in getting honest with God and say, here I am. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling in our marriage. We're struggling financially. We're struggling with whatever it is at work. I believe in that. But friends, you be very careful that you don't take the privilege of prayer and make it something that God detests. Because God will honor it. And God will work in it. And God will do things that you cannot imagine. But it means asking for forgiveness and watching what God can do. And so my question to you is first and foremost, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you ever came to a place where the conviction of the Holy Spirit has shown you that you are a sinner? Not because the preacher said it, not because your Sunday school teacher said it, not because your mom and dad wanted it, but because you knew that you're a sinner. And you believe that Jesus Christ really did die upon the cross, that he was buried, that he rose again and loves you. Loves you in spite of you. Loves you knowing you and how wicked you and I are. And died for you anyway. And have you ever repented of your sins and called upon his name to be saved? Because friends, if you haven't, you can the Bible says, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. But believer, I want to talk to you today just for a moment. Are you in a sin of outright rebellion against God right now? I know what His Word says, but I don't care. I've got my life, I've got my priorities, I've got everything I want. This is the direction I'm heading. Friends, you're at the last stage of that. You've ignored the warnings. You've ignored the correction. You've ignored the desires and you have embraced rebellion. You say, well, Jake, I'm not near as bad as the person sitting across the aisle from me. I, that's not me. I, I don't have that struggle. Well, then today are you starting that process? Have you begun to allow your flesh? Have you begun to allow your desires to start to take root in your heart? Well, I know I shouldn't, and I won't, but I'd like to. That's how it starts a lot of, I know I shouldn't, but just a little bit. 
or I know I won't a lot, but just sometimes. And in those moments, you're like David. You have a moment of sin, a moment of weakness. And the choice is either to repent or to give in. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, Jake, I don't really know of anything major going on. I'm just kind of like a boat floating on the ocean. Just going where the waves take me. Friends, today an unguarded mind will put you in a place, will take you to a rocky cliff that you don't want to go. But if you find yourself here today in a mess, or if you look back to some of the things in your path and think, man, that was a mess, it doesn't have to define who you are. Because He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We live in a day and age where preachers are not supposed to preach about sin. And I believe we've done a great disservice to a lost and dying world. But I also believe that you ought to have hope that you can be forgiven, that things can be restored that have been broken, that God can take the mess that you and I have put ourselves in and turn it around. I believe that, no matter where you've been or what you've done, that God can forgive you, that God can save you, that God can give you hope. Pray with me as Jamie and Janice come. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, not my words, but yours. And today, Lord, as we've started this series, God, I know it's challenging to us, but God, it's true to you. So, Father, today I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be doing what only He could do in this place, God, that He would be dealing with each heart, drawing and convicting and encouraging. Father, today I pray that they have not heard from me, but they have heard from you. And, God, I pray that today that you are softening hearts that have grown cold, that have grown hard. God, I pray today that you are dealing with people who have got baggage and hatred and unforgiveness and bitterness, God, that is defining who they are. Today, God, I pray that you would soften that heart, that you would bust it open, that you can change it. Father, for, for, for people who are beginning to just go cold, I pray that you would draw them back to yourself. But Father, especially this morning, I pray for that person who is at rock bottom. God, who feels that it can't get any worse, that's ashamed, that's embarrassed, that feels that there's no way that you or other people could love them. Lord, today I pray that you would reach down and that you would remind them that you could lift them up. God, that you will embrace them, that you will be with them, that you will forgive them. And even though that sin has consequences, that you will never abandon them. God, that is my prayer this morning. God, I pray for that person who is here, not because they want to be, but because they had to be or should have been here that today you'd change that heart. And so many other issues, God, I pray that you would deal in this time together for your glory and your glory alone. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.